Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today I... I'm going to bring you an episode where I sat down with Dr. Emily Cordes. Emily has a background in internal medicine and pediatrics and had a dream to become a primary care physician and really quickly into kind of practicing within her residency, realized that that turns out wasn't really how she wants medicine. So she went on to become a functional medicine um, physician. And this conversation is, I think, going to provide a somewhat unique spin on this idea of how we can de-emphasize weight and decouple weight, meaning not have weight and health be the same thing. Like Dr. Cordes said many times, like she's not really concerned at all about the actual number. Um, And she talks a lot about in this episode how conversations about weight are avoided by physicians. And this is kind of interesting because I think a lot of times in the health at every size circles and and kind of what we've talked about somewhat when we've talked about medical settings or talked with physicians in the past on this podcast, we've talked about helping you to de-emphasize weight in your visit with your provider because providers can be really weight focused. Um, and that can be a really helpful thing. And that may be exactly what you need to do. Um, and you may want to talk about your weight in some way, shape or form, and that's valid too. And it's about learning to understand kind of the, the ways that medical doctors, physicians are trained learning to understand that you simply don't know how they're going to respond until you try. But um, yeah, I think this conversation is not all that different than some of the other conversations, but it's this unique spin on how to discuss your weight with your doctor if you want to, (laughs) but not so much about the weight itself, but how can you help work together with your provider to do some investigative work and some digging to see what could be going on from a medical perspective to also aid you in your journey. So we talk a little bit about, we don't go into 
details or specifics about things like PCOS or hypothyroidism that could be missed, but more so with a focus in this episode about how we can have more productive conversations with your doctors and also just how to understand where they're coming from with how they approach these topics and how to work with them um, to get your needs met. And actually, if you didn't listen, two episodes ago, I interviewed Amy Braden about her journey with um, kind of pursuing an intuitive eating journey, non-diet approach, and eventually pursuing bariatric surgery and how she really, really had to be her own advocate with her primary care doctor in Um, in particular. And so I think that she actually embodies this sort of approach that we're talking about in this episode. Um, So make sure you check that episode out. Even if, you know, bariatric surgery isn't something that you're considering, it's not so much about that, although we do talk about that in that episode, but it's also about how can you navigate our complex healthcare system and how can you get what you need um, and, and how can you not, unfortunately, end up just being a victim to the system and just having to um, either avoid the doctor? How can you kind of bring some courage to those visits and ask for what you need and then also know that you can handle it if you don't get what you need? And that's information, too. And so, um, so yeah, I think you're going to really like this episode it was uh, one of my, I think it's the third one I've done in person at my house. So that was fun because uh, Dr. Cordes is local to me. And yeah, I, we had a great conversation. I learned a lot and I know you will too. So let's settle in and get started. Remember the old diet advice, like when the urge to eat strikes, just take a walk or have a glass of water. Usually, you're just thirsty, not hungry. If you're anything like me, these suggestions make you want to punch the magazine or the person who said it in the face. So many suggestions to just stop emotional eating are based in diet culture. They're based in the notion that you know what to do, just do it. And I'm here to tell you that changing behavior is hard. We as humans are wired for comfort and disrupting a pattern of emotional eating is challenging and at the same time you absolutely can do it and you can learn to prefer it however to get started with disrupting this pattern we need to feel understood we need to then take small consistent actions in the direction of our goals so we're going to leave these super patronizing suggestions at home and get some actual suggestions for simple, fun things to do when the urge to eat strikes when you know you are not hungry. So for some actual suggestions for this, I have a new free actionable guide. This is a one-page PDF you can pull up at any time with 23 things to do instead of eating, complete with links to videos, fun, inspiring songs, and many different ideas to disrupt the pattern and take a small step towards empowerment and towards that confident person that you deserve to be. So grab the guide absolutely free at drhondorp.com forward slash guide. 
That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P forward slash guide to start ditching the shoulds and regaining confidence in yourself today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for any form of professional advice. If you are struggling with how these specific topics fit for you, please make sure you seek out a professional to get that guidance. And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could pull out your phone, go to Apple Podcasts, and give me a quick review. You can either just give us the star review or you can write a review there you can let me know what you're enjoying what you'd like to see more of it's a really simple way and a free way for you to let me know you're enjoying the podcast help more people find it and um, help keep the podcast going so thank you so much in advance all right let's dive in All right, so welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. We have a really great conversation in store for you today where I'm sitting down in person with Dr. Emily Cordes, and we're going to talk about some really important topics related to weight, how it is discussed or not discussed in medical training, medical settings, and yeah, Dr. Cordes has a really we, I don't know how long it's been since we met now, but we've kind of developed a relationship where we've had some really interesting conversations, really, um, and, and yeah, she's got some really great perspectives to bring to us today. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cordes. Hi, thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here today. Um, right now, I am a functional medicine physician um, with root functional medicine, but like I trained in a very traditional, um, conservative medical background. So I'm med peds trained. So, um, residency in internal medicine and pediatrics. And then I was like young and eager when I left training to start a primary care practice, super excited, looking back, very naive, um, maybe thought that I could like go out and change people's lives. (laughs) You can, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, so I did a few years of primary care and, um, I sat down with a lot of different women, mainly women. Like when you're a young woman physician, you attract young women, uh, patients. Um, and I would have people sit in my office and like talk about, their lack of energy and their mood and it would after a few minutes would finally you know as I'm like wrapping things up they would bring up the weight conversation and it's usually like the weight conversations would always be the like the docs got their hand on the doorknob like ready to leave the room oh by the way like what do you think of weight um and we'll talk a little bit more about like why that's not the best space to have that conversation um but you know, I usually sit back down and, and start like, well, what are your concerns? Like, let's talk about this a little further. Um, but ultimately, like, I would sit with them and at the end it'd be like, well, well, we'll run some lab work. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, this is all going to be normal. Like, this is all, everything we talk about weight, like, we're going to prove that things are, quote, normal. And then people are going to hear labs are normal, good luck. And it like just left a space of like I was unhappy with what I could offer people. Um, 
And like when you go home at the end of the day as a physician, you do want to help people. You want to think about like, you know, what you did during the day. And I would go home and think, well, I did not do much for these people. Um, So like slowly became disillusioned with the way primary care was getting practiced. Um, And honestly, not just about weight, like about other chronic medical concerns as well. Um, So that's all happening. And I'm like, well, what do I do with like this concern? Um, Rewind more personally to during medical training for me. Um, I was just like so burnt out and done with it. Um, You know, I was going through the day of like residency, et cetera. But like the burnout during training manifested in like a lot of stress in my life, slow weight gain where I was like, what is going on here? This is like not me. And I think I made it like halfway through residency. And I realized that what medicine could offer me personally wasn't going to get me out of the way I felt. That's uh, like we need to just pause for that right now, right? Like I think just that reflection of how this, what I'm, what I'm learning to help people with is not, it's not what I need. So how is it what other people need? Right. Yeah. So I like, I think I made it, yeah, halfway through residency and I was like, well, let's look at other options out there. And I took like a deep dive into the research behind uh, stress and weight, you know, how those are linked. Um, I like went hardcore, just like all of us with like PhDs or medical degrees do, right? We like bring up PubMed and see what other people have said about things. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so we nerd out over it, right? Um, and I was like, wow, there is like a lack of research in this. Um, so then I went and I literally, I, I mean, you go from research to then like, what are people saying online? Let's read some books, right? Mm-hmm. What are experts in the field saying? And so I have read countless pages on every like optimal nutrition plan for the human body there's not one (laughs) yes spoiler alert (laughs) yeah sorry that's what you're looking for um and not only have I like read the books I've also like done the quote diets so like if you name it I have done it I have I've survived keto um I have been vegan vegetarian intermittent fasting like the whatever is in vogue I have tried um and in some ways I really uh I appreciate that time period where I was trying a lot of different things it proved to me personally that nothing like that actually works so I'm trying all this stuff right I finally figure out what works for me personally from a like nutrition, exercise, and like stress and boundaries perspective in my personal life. And I feel like, wow, like I'm feeling great. But then I'm going to work these 12 hour shifts and I'm like, okay, but now I can't use anything I've learned in this conventional practice because that's not the design of healthcare, unfortunately. Um, I think most people know when they like go to a doctor, they sort of like you sit down, the doctor figures out your diagnosis, then matches the diagnosis to whatever like surgery, intervention, pill, et cetera. And then you're told that and you walk out. But like 
the conversation about weight is so much longer than like you're overweight here's the answer mm-hmm. um yeah eat less move more right isn't that the answer exactly <laughs> there you go right yeah. mm-hmm. um so you know i had i had all this experience it wasn't resonating when i went to work and ultimately the like the little like in the back of your mind you're thinking once again i'm go- i'm coming home from work and thinking that i didn't do the job i could do while i was there so I feel like I was like living this dichotomy and I had to find something that I could use all of my medical knowledge and my personal experience to then help others transform their lives. So incomes functional medicine. I'm like searching for a different like form of healthcare. Um, and there are like different models out there that aren't your conventional medicine. You've got functional medicine, um, there is like some preventative fellowships that help with this integrative, um, also more conventional would be like obesity medicine fellowship. Mm-hmm. I, also life, lifestyle medicine. Yep. And lifestyle medicine too. Yeah. Um, I chose functional medicine just based on their philosophy of like, it gets down to the root of disease instead of putting a bandaid on things, which Ultimately, like that saying, like getting down to the root of the disease does resonate with those other schools of thoughts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like got my training done and sa- very serendipitously like found my dream job in my hometown, which I feel like when that works out in your life, you're like, OK, it's like a sign from above that this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah. So that's my like very long, quick story <laughs> about how I ended up doing this. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I think I didn't know many aspects of that story, so I appreciate knowing that. And um, so what I want to talk about now, and you started to delve into this, but let's talk about body weight and how it's talked about in medical training and, you know, related to that, what you want people to understand so they can feel more empowered. Because so much of what I hear in your story is like you – I wasn't really helping people. I wasn't certainly wasn't leaving. They weren't leaving feeling empowered. Right. So to understand the medical system, I think we need to understand like what, how, how were you trained and a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, medical training sees weight as like a very, it's like a risk factor. That's how it's seen. It's not as emotionally charged as how culture sees weight. It, you know, from day one of medical school, when we learn about these diseases, um, it's basically, you know, on a lot of diseases, it's listed that a body mass index over whatever, 25, 30, 35, name your number, that that confers an increased risk. So it's sort of just pounded into our head that like increased risk if someone is overweight. Um, It's not like I said, it's just not as emotionally charged. But then we're also told, like, especially, I mean, I'm a, let's see, I'm a 2015 grad of med school, right? And I've been out into formal practice post-residency for three years now. So relatively recent. Um, And even more recently, like being trained during the cultural movement of more like body positivity, 
physicians that are my age maybe had a couple seminars on like being more respectful about weight and that it's not as just like black and white that it's a risk factor. So I will say that I do think like medicine and healthcare is slowly getting there. Um, but now I feel like we're in this space of like doctors are asked to see things as risk factors. Is this attributing to the problem, right? But then we're also healthcare in general is being asked to then be uh, like sensitive about it. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of patients or a lot of the, the physician patient dynamic, it just leaves us in this hole of like, well, I'm asked to be judgmental, but I'm also asked to not be judgmental in the same space. So for a lot of physicians, it's easier just to back out of the conversation and to not have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know you and I have talked about this, but it's interesting to hear you kind of verbalize that because I think that that's, um, it, it's actually probably one of like the fears that people sometimes have with like the body positivity health at every size movement that like we're doing people a disservice. And while that's not the point of the movement, there, there probably is a lot of that that does happen, right? Where like it, people don't feel like they have a safe space to have these discussions, which are nuanced. And then whatever could be going on, whether it's whatever the root cause is, like is just never getting discussed. And that truly is unhealth- unhealthy and unhelpful for people. Oh, so true. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, we're in this weird middle ground. And that's where, you know, we're very, as a society, not great at navigating middle ground conversations. So right, right. it ends up being you're either like, a terrible human being because you mentioned the word weight and then people are tiptoeing or you yeah maybe on the other extreme are an accepting person but then people can find that experience invalidating oh completely where you're like wait a sec i want to lose weight like you won't talk to me about that and Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that is very very important to acknowledge that there's so much and that's probably where Cause I've had that experience where I'm like, you know, the more that I get into understanding decoupling weight and health and mm-hmm. health at every size, like I believe in so much of it. And I, yeah, you and I have talked about oh, this, yeah. but like, I believe in so much of it. And there's definitely people that I think take it to this extreme where it's just like shaming people for using any form of the word weight. And it's yeah. like, how is that actually serving people? Or they'll be like really anti any weight loss medication or weight loss surgery or just a discussion like you can still like move towards loving your body and still choose to for whatever reason follow a specific eating plan right like and if it even if it feels restrictive that's still people's choice (laughs) and so yeah so i i love that have you been listening to this podcast and thinking okay sean this is great information but what do i do with it How can I truly change my habits and my thinking patterns? I've had them for so long. Or maybe you think, I probably should try therapy or try it again, but I'm just not sure where to start. Well, if that's the case, I have some great news for you. My dear colleague and one of my closest friends, Dr. Sapna Doshi, has created an incredible practice with amazing therapists that are excited to help you with whatever you want to work on. 
Maybe it's related to disordered eating or a weight concern, or maybe you're wanting help and knowing this time you need to work through a past trauma, or maybe you just want to figure out why you've had anxiety all of these years. MindBody Health provides evidence-based therapy in person in Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia, and teletherapy in over 30 states across the United States. As someone who settled for years for therapists who held space for me, but I didn't always feel fully guided in the direction of my goals, I can say that one of my major regrets in life is not investing in really good therapy sooner. So go to mindbodyva.com, that's M-I-N-D-B-O-D-Y-V-A for virginia.com to set up your free consultation call and get matched with an excellent and totally vetted therapist today. Please be sure to let them know that the Motivation Made Easy podcast sent you and remember that your future self will thank you for this. Um. And you, so, and you kind of already mentioned this. So people, it's really in terms of the medical profession, like just having those one or two seminars kind of highlights their concern about not being judgmental and not exhibiting weight bias because that's harmful to patients. But then it sounds like you're saying they just don't know how to have a productive conversation about that and, or they don't have time for it. What would you say? Like, how would you describe that? Oh, Okay, so it's both. It's it's a the time factor is a big deal, um, but I also think that this like black hole of talking about weight with your physician, and it really is like a black hole. <laughs> um, I think in some ways stems out of a lack of education for the physician. So um, doctors like black and white things, right? We are like scientific people. We want answers, and we want straightforward answers. Um, and weight has so many factors behind what you see on the scale that, you know, to go through all of those factors, um, we, we honestly, traditional docs are not trained in. Um, especially when it comes to nutrition, there is a lack of education. Um, you know, I think the state that requires the most nutrition education for a medical student is California, and out of the four years, it's 12 hours. And that is a, like, I think that's one of the only states with legislation on that. So most doctors do not know and can't give you practical food advice. Um, they don't even know how to eat themselves. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I will admit that, right? Like I had to learn it outside of, outside of my medical training, like how to eat sustainably in a healthy way long-term for my body. Um, so, well, and I think the other important point, of course, I have to bring in the psychology piece of it because psychology is you can't really measure our thinking patterns and our beliefs very well. And medical training doesn't really like that, right? Like if oh, we have no. say like, <laughs> we're like, there's this other thing that's like greatly going to influence the nutrition habits, even if you learn the, like, even though there isn't a right eating pattern, even if they have this like great solid nutrition knowledge, there's this other thing that they can't measure or really understand unless you have a deep talk with someone about like, and get to know them over time and understand when do you need to lay off and not pressure yourself to make a ton of changes if, if like someone's really stressed or hey you tend to get really hard on yourself about this and maybe that's doing more harm than good here mm-hmm. and yeah 
you docs don't like that that much, which I get. I I don't. Who does like uncertainty? I like to be able to measure. I did the research track of psychology for a yeah. reason. I was like, I want to measure this stuff, and it's really hard to measure, yeah. and that's frustrating. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, so there's the the lack of knowledge, right, from a, a food perspective, the psychology behind it exercise recommendations haven't really changed in I don't know how many years like there's just so many different aspects that physicians are undereducated on and even the ones that maybe have put in the extra education are then thrown into this system where like honestly to keep the the lights on in a primary care office and to earn what you what your hospital system is expecting of you doesn't promote those types of conversations. Um, 15 minutes with your doctor when five of it is actually with the medical assistant, so so 10 minutes with your doctor, doesn't promote sustainable change for anybody. Even if you're at the like psychological stage where you're ready for change, that doc can't come in there and really like have a good conversation. It turns into that, like, if your doc's, like, wandering towards the door and they've got their hand on the doorknob, you can tell that they're trying to get out. Like, that's the conversation that most people get trapped in. So, yeah. Yeah, and the other piece that I'm thinking, just as you were sharing your story about, like, you had made some shifts for yourself. You developed, like, a more, like, sounds like peaceful relationship with food, your body, and, like, your habits. And then you're working these 12-hour shifts. So this idea of, like, even just continuing and I don't know you made a shift so like this idea of stress management and boundaries as a physician physicians a lot of times like aren't really afforded a great like (laughs) setup for that right so then you're supposed to be like you're maybe we need to look at like stress management and boundaries for you like how do you teach that if you're like I don't know just a thought I had That's 100% true. Like, how do you teach something that you are personally not doing for yourself? And if you are personally doing it for yourself, then how do you teach it in 40 seconds? Like, it's just, it's it's not set up for success at all. Um, so what recommendations would you have? Or, I mean, I guess, have we touched on the main, I mean, there's probably so many things that get missed in these, like, lack of nuance conversations. Um I don't know. I wonder if actually, and I didn't tell you this in advance, but it might be good to have like an, an example of like the someone who like came to you now and like they were not able to get to any of the root. Like what are some of the common root causes that are getting missed that people should be just aware of? Let's maybe start there. Yeah. Um, so working in root, so root functional medicine is, um, mainly I would say we we mainly see women I see some men um but I will speak more to like women and weight um most of the time so just that caveat but um we see a lot of women with concerns over polycystic ovarian syndrome um and the diagnosis is really hard to get from a primary care doctor um you know, when as a primary care doctor, when a woman, a young woman comes in and says, well, I'm concerned about weight and hormones, the word hormones is like triggering for most doctors because they literally just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, and when you and they, they they don't know how to dive into like, what does the patient actually like, what are they really worried about? Mm-hmm. So 
um, there is a delay for PCOS. So that would be one. Um, and polycystic ovarian syndrome is so, uh, there's just many different types of it and each woman presents differently. Um, so it's, it's not quite as straightforward. I think that's why physicians struggle with diagnosing it and women are frustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also not something that could or should be missed, honestly. Like it does have long-term fertility impacts. It has huge long-term cardiovascular stroke disease risk association. So, um, that would be one. Um, yeah. And real quick, I'll just mention that we had a pretty comprehensive, pretty scientific episode about PCOS. So for anyone who, and obviously there's other places to learn about it, but yeah, that's where I learned a lot of what you just said. Like, I'm like, Oh wow. There's so you really need a provider who's willing to do some investigative work with you. And like you said, they just don't primary care doesn't really have that time and space most of the time. And so you need to find someone who's willing to do a lot of like rule outs with you, it seems. Yeah. I, yeah. So PCS is the big one. Um, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism is the other one that I see a lot of women will, you know, they say that their main concern is weight. And then they're told by their primary care doc that their first set of labs is normal. And they come to us and we dig a little deeper meaning just a few more labs and there's evidence of hypothyroidism going on. Um, and it's just, it's that extra, like, okay, it, it did probably take me 20 minutes to get down to this talking with somebody, but it's important. Like that has long-term health implications as well. Um, you know, I think that the flip side to the conversation of like what maybe syndromes or diseases are associated with more weight would be, the fact that like almost every client I talk to has weight concerns um, and we don't measure weight in our office. <laughs> so no one's height or weight are, are getting measured. Um, in fact, I don't ask for that on intake forms at all. What I do ask for though is um, a pretty lengthy questionnaire about what concerns and symptoms they have. and. The last time I checked, it's like 95% of women rank weight as one of their concerns, regardless of their physical, like, gravity to the earth condition, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's not the number on, like, the scale so much that women are concerned about. I mean, maybe they are, but, like, the fact that women that are underweight are concerned about being too heavy and the fact that women that are overweight are concerned about being too heavy I was like there's something more here than what the actual weight concern is and usually like when I die I ask every woman even if they won't rank it like I ask about weight I'm just going to put that black hole out there because some women do have a healthy relationship with it but a lot of women don't um and I usually at least try to take a few minutes to dive into their relationship, their, their psychological relationship with food and weight um, and sort of where that comes from. And a lot of times they make a statement of like, well, if I weighed X, then this would be part of my life or I would be X. And they like name an emotion or something. 
And like, I think verbalizing that and knowing like when they say it out loud, they know it's not true, right? Like, so if you can fit into the jeans that you wore in high school, you'll be happy. Like when it's said out loud, you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wait. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, that's obviously that so much of the work I do is mm-hmm. like, like bring it out into the light of day. Let's look at it and be like, hmm. Yeah. Interesting yeah. that your brain created that. And it makes a lot of sense, right, given what we know about our society and how we view weight. But, yeah. yeah. So you – okay, so you don't actually ask for height and weight on the intake form, but you always ask about it. Probably more about their psychological, like, response, like how they view their own weight. Mm-hmm. I don't really care what the pound on the scale says. Like, mm-hmm. I care more about your healthy habits. Mm-hmm. Um, I see women that traditional doctors might label overweight, but man, when I look at labs and the way they're living their life, I can say, like, your risk factors for chronic disease are low. I look at other women who have what you would label as, like, a normal body mass index, and we talk about how they are living their life on a daily basis and I'm like okay we gotta make some changes so Mm -hmm. the weight doesn't matter as much right yeah absolutely and so when people are going to our traditional medical system knowing what we've talked about today what suggestions would you have for them to kind of have a more helpful empowering conversation like or should they just go to you like what should they do (laughs) people are like what do we do now so what are your thoughts for that Yeah, so great question. Um, We are always welcoming. So, of course, I'm like, yes, come to Root Functional Medicine. But I also know that not everybody has the privilege to, like, go find another doctor. If that's, you know, insurance or transportation or financial, like, there's lots of reasons you may feel restricted. Um, What I would first recommend is, like, make sure your doc, right when when they come in the room, knows that weight is a concern which takes a lot of courage to know that that's the one of your concerns and and to actually verbalize it, right? Like we've spent the last how many minutes talking about, and in your podcast has talked a lot about like the stigma against people that are living in classically overweight bodies. And healthcare has like propagated that stigma, unfortunately. So to sit down as probably a woman, like, you know, there's a lot of women listeners and then, also overweight like it almost feels like you've got like two things against you already is you're sitting in front of a doctor um so a to bring it up like be courageous and bring it up fast like don't do the hand on the doorknob they're trying to leave because I think if you hit somebody that's time crunched the conversation you're going to have with them will not be fruitful um so that's my one tip is like be bold you know bring it up Um, but also to not place like all your eggs in one basket with your physician, meaning that it's okay if you feel failed by your primary care doc. If the conversation you have with your PCP is like, well, just like eat less and exercise more. Like if that's the conversation, it's okay to get back to like your car and sit there and be like, well, that was unhelpful. And I have to now find somebody who is going to help me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that happens for a lot of people. I think it's more like I feel judged. I guess I'll just come back next year. Right. Mm -hmm. And then a year goes by and nothing's changed. So Mm -hmm. it's okay to not 
to recognize that that doctor doesn't have the skills of what you're looking for. Yeah. And I think like part of it, I mean, I think you want to have a plan for like if things don't go well, right? Like if you get, and and some of it might be perceived judgments, like you are anticipating or you're interpreting a look they gave you and they, they said helpful words, but like the way they looked at you in the little, but I think having a plan for how you'll take care of yourself emotionally after that discussion, because they're hard discussions to have. But like, like you said, it's, that avoidance isn't serving you either if you want to have a more nuanced discussion and if nothing else you'll learn like well that person can't have a nuanced discussion and that's not a me and that's that's hard it's hard because I actually just interviewed someone last week and I'm not exactly sure when it'll come out they've had to do a tremendous amount of like personal advocacy work Mm -hmm. with their primary care like and it's served them well but it was a lot of work for them and and you know but I think just knowing like it's you're not the problem here Correct. It, and and the person in, the doctor in front of you is not the problem either it is the system that's the problem but like yeah being prepared to really take care of yourself emotionally if the conversation doesn't go well and you don't feel supported like that's a valid experience and if you don't feel right. supported after like don't be like oh I should have well it wasn't that bad or discount no it, that was your experience and um and maybe there's some things you can take if the conversation's somewhere in the middle, right? Like it's like yeah. somewhat helpful, yeah. but not great. Like let yourself feel the, the feelings that you're having and maybe there's something you can take from it, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. It's not for sure. Um, I think a good question that I had been asked when I was in primary care was sort of the question of like, if you can't help me, who can? And I think that's a powerful way to redirect the conversation with your physician if they are giving you the like just eat less spiel or because what that that spiel like eat less and exercise more is really just a do better but like without any actual tools to quote do better. Right. <laughs> like unhelpful, right? right. <laughs> um, how, you know, asking them like what, what tools do, you, do they have in their toolbox? Do they know of a dietitian that's super helpful do they know you know of an obesity medicine doctor or somebody who looks at root cause approaches um so knowing how they could help you um also knowing like what kind of health care you're looking for is important and that is something that it takes a lot of experience in the healthcare system um as a patient to understand and sort of some failures along the way if to know that your doctor's not resonating with you. Um, You know, for some people, that whole idea of like, here's your diagnosis, here is the pill, that approach works for some people and they're comfortable with it. And if that's what you're looking for, like, that's perfect. But I think the, the, the problem occurs when the doc thinks that way and the patient is actually looking for more of a, why did things end up like this? How do I dig myself out of this? You know, how do I change my lifestyle approach? And when those two don't line up, it's sort of like you're speaking different languages. And then you're going to leave feeling like pretty unsatisfied. So. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like, what are you looking for? And then, of course, then there's the practical side of things which is like how do I piece that together if it's not if I can't pay out of pocket necessarily but I think the good news is there is a lot of like 
you know, the term do your own research has like negative connotations that to some extent now, but I think really just being willing to um, seek out reputable sources or reach out to me and, and be like, does this look legit? Or just someone that hopefully you trust to, to just get some opinions because there are, there is a push towards more evidence-based. I feel like there's more and more mostly women, not all women, but kind of speaking out of like, hey, this experience doesn't fit. Like traditional healthcare really didn't fit me very well <laughs> and right. it didn't fit you. And yeah. that really having to take an honest look and be like, you know, even though these people were trained and even, and this is true of psychology too. I think there's mm -hmm. things that like I was trained that now I do completely different. So it's like, we got to, yeah, your provider may not always be the full expert and having that, that courage to be like, yeah, that doesn't sit well with me. And, and hopefully they're willing to learn and change with you. And if they're not eventually finding someone that will. So, um, any other tips or takeaways people should know before we do our motivation questions at the end? I think just knowing, like getting back to knowing exactly what you're looking for is important. And I, I don't mean to be sort of a broken record here, but um, I think that's where the disappointment occurs for folks. Um, but then to like wake up the next day and be like, okay, how am I going to find this person who is going to help me? Um, I think that's important. So just keep advocating for yourself, honestly. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, always an important message. And so for our last questions at the end, we always do in our intrinsic motivation question, what's one thing that you do for truly intrinsic motivation reasons? You do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior itself. Um, what's that for you? Yeah. Um, so lifting weights has been like a big part of my life growing up and then into adulthood. Um, I know this is like a podcast, so you guys can't physically see me. Like I'm not a thin doctor. <laughs> I'm the type of girl who's going to deadlift a bunch of weight. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and honestly, it's just like the, it's the personal challenge that is not anything to do with like professional challenges right so like mm -hmm. um it helps me throughout like my 20s and training and now into my 30s where like for a time period in the morning or whenever I get to the gym like it's my time and it's just my time to get better at something that has nothing to do with the rest of my life mm -hmm. so if that means adding you know what seems like two you know two and a half pounds really isn't that much but when you add it to like a you know added on like that's growth and that's um yeah. I don't know it's just like really you work for something for months you finally get it and you're like okay now I get to show up tomorrow and work on it a little more <laughs> that's awesome did you always like strength training it sounds like it's been a part of your life for a while but was it always like an intrinsically motivating like did you always enjoy it no I didn't. Um, no. So I had a couple like major knee injuries. And then like when other things are taken off the table of I used to enjoy running a lot. I used to enjoy mountain biking. And when when you can't do those things anymore, you've got to find something that you do like. And then I did fall in love with strength training. So yeah, that's awesome. I need to fall more in love with strength training. I pretty much talk about that all the time on this podcast because I'm like, I should. And I do it sometimes. I do, I, but I always have to pair it with other things, so it's more fun because for whatever reason. But oh, 
we'll get there. So. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's help- helpful. Um, and then from our should to a choose to question, what's an example of a behavior that was always a should for you that you used to struggle to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently, either because you value it or it's part of your identity, even if you don't always love it? Yeah. So the nutrition piece. Um, so what, 10 years ago or so, eight years ago, I mean, I experimented with all kinds of different nutritional plans. Um, and as much as I'm very much anti-yo-yo dieting, I think every woman has to go through a period of yo-yo dieting. It teaches you so much, right? It teaches you that it doesn't work. Um, so during that time period, I did figure out what worked for me, um, but like, even though now I feel like I have it down pat, there's still weeks where I like Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, I don't want to meal prep. I, I will be honest with you. There are times I don't want to do it. Um, but I know that like, if I don't, my whole week just sort of like falls apart in some ways. <laughs> um, and I think eventually like what you eat turns into a little bit of your identity Um, and I know that in some ways that can sound a little dogmatic or, you know, like people that identify as keto are like really keto or like you got like hardcore vegans. And I don't mean in that sense. I mean more in the, like, I know that if I see it as part of my identity that I eat healthy foods, then it motivates me further to then eat set healthy foods. Mm -hmm. So if that's a mind trick that works with me, I'm just going to go with it, (laughs) but it seems to work. Yeah, I think that's a that's an important distinction. Like, I think if you were saying, oh, well, I really like I mean, part of you is like probably a little bit of a should I should do this on Sunday because I'll feel good. But it's a it sounds like it's more from that self-supportive place of like this is going to allow my week to go smoother. It's going to allow me to show up as the person I want to be like that aspect is and you're nodding. So I think I'm on the right track there, which is yeah, yeah, which is different than um when it's a truly a should and it's truly external, it's this, um, it's this judgment, right? And you're like, no, this is like how, like you said, it's part of my identity. And that's, that's the shift that it can take, um, a lot of unpacking of the shoulds and the messages that like we, that are so external that keep us stuck in the should and not doing it cycle. But it's really just like, yeah, how do I want to show up in the world and reminding yourself that I, I do feel better when I do that. Right. Or I, it just makes things go well for me. It makes me whatever. And so, um, so yeah, I think that makes sense. And thanks for sharing that. (laughs) And then, um, a main part of our mission here on the podcast and at psychology of wellness is teaching people, especially women to reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live courageous and connected lives. Can you share any examples of living courageously or building connection that you're proud of? Yeah. Um, so I originally, Sean sent me these questions ahead of time. So I was prepared and I was like, I'm not courageous. Like, that's not what I, <laughs> like, I don't, I, that is not a word I identify as like one of my characteristics. Um, but I was talking with a good friend and she's like, well, you did just like up and leave your career. And I was like, okay, that you're correct. <laughs> it was more of a change than a leave, but um I think knowing it wasn't the action of like leaving conventional health care that was courageous. I think it was the like months before that when I like 
just sat there thinking like I can't live this life of like I'm living one way in my personal life and then my professional life doesn't reflect that and I think when those two things didn't line up and I realized they didn't line up that moment was courageous of saying like well they have to line up but I can't live like this long term so um and what was really cool was then like the second half of your question about what kind of like building connections that creates. So I like very serendipitously, or if you'd like to call it like a God thing, like someone was looking out for me that um, the opportunity with root functional medicine came up right around this like same time period, totally out of my control. Um, And now working with root, like it has sparked connection with obviously the women that work at root, Um, we have a phenomenal team that I'm so proud of, but honestly, like it also sparks connections with, um, like our root members. I am constantly like super inspired by the women I meet. Um, I like, I work with a woman for an hour and I like get off the call or I see them in person and I'm like blown away at what they do in their personal lives and like how they're showing up. And that's super inspirational for me personally. So yeah, I love that. And I love that sometimes we hear the word courage and it can be common. We're like, I'm not courageous or courage is supposed to look like, I don't know, what is courage like going and doing a TED talk and sharing your deepest secrets or something <laughs> like that's sort of what I think of. And it's like, no, there's so many ways that courage can show up and like, and I think it's, I actually, again, just did an interview. It'll come out a couple of weeks before this one with Dr. Julia King. And she was just reflecting on having this like really thriving practice that she loved, but there was this like sensation of like discomfort and like, this isn't lining up. I, and, and she like the courage to listen to that. Right. And to be like, eh, nope, <laughs> I got to make a, a change. And I do think like leaving traditional healthcare, like traditional tracks, I think inherently has courage in it too because you the security of like this is my path and that's kind of how I felt a little bit when I left the like traditional health psychology track I was I I was really comfortable in those settings and I really knew my role and now I'm like navigating the and I guess the other theme I would just want to highlight is this idea of like bringing your true self to work right like bringing yourself as a human being to work you're able to do that probably a lot more now than you were in primary care, oh, not only because sure. you didn't have time to have those conversations, yeah. but like you're also able to like live a more balanced life where you're not working excessive hours and being able to like, and that's hard too, because society, we're, we're in a hustle culture and oh, yeah. like there's a lot of pressure to keep doing and performing. And mm-hmm. um, so, but I, I think I believe strongly that definitely women and men like I think the more we bring our true selves like like better work occurs because then it's like then you're actually you're not up like doing something telling people to do something that you're not actually doing so yeah I don't feel like work should feel like work so then I knew I had to find a job that I like enjoyed doing and I know that that seems like very like oh you're living in a dreamland right but that's what I wanted (laughs) it was that simple (laughs) well and it's super normalized to hate your job too yeah inappropriately normalized (laughs) and yeah and then there's can be so much guilt like that's when I left healthcare I'm like oh there's so many people that I I know that are still like hustling and grinding and like really doing a lot that they hate and I didn't hate my job that much and and 
I love it so much more now. So <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. So tell people where they can learn more about Root, the work you're doing and connect with you and the team. Yeah, so if you go to Root, R-O-O-T, functionalmedicine.com, that's our webpage uh, with lots of information on that. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook, um, Root Functional Medicine. So, and you can reach out to us on um, either of those platforms or through our email um, with any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily. This has been super fun. Awesome. Thank you. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite related to achieving a deeper level of healing is a book called No Bad Parts, Healing Trauma and Restoring Wholeness with the Internal Family Systems Model. This model of healing has been incredibly helpful to me personally. I'm also using it with clients and seeing great results. And this book is not specific to eating or weight related concerns, but it's really one of the best ways I've found to help work with that deeper root cause of any behavior that you're struggling with. And I think you'll find it really interesting and also really valuable too. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. Please review from my mom's podcast. Make something from my mom's podcast, please. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. 
I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.